Welcome to the Get Heard with Ian Roth podcast, where it is our mission to enable leaders to effectively engage and motivate their audience through written and verbal communication. Hey, everybody, this is Ian with the Get Heard podcast. Thank you so much for joining the show today. And today's guest is JT Campo. And, you know, we focus a lot on leadership on this show. And JT is going to talk to us all about public speaking. He's the owner of The Content Entrepreneur and works with clients to extract the greatness and elevate their keynote speeches. So almost entirely public speaking focused today. JT is going to give you some awesome pointers of how to give the best public speech. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Get Heard podcast. And I have JT Campo on tonight, and he's going to talk all about what makes a great speech. You know, public speaking is very, very important in leadership in communicating your message clearly to your listeners. So I'm excited to have JT on here. How are you doing, JT? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure having you on this evening. And, you know, if you wouldn't mind, just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you're doing. Sure. I own a company called The Content Interpreter, and I work with thought leaders, C-suite members, and entrepreneurs to extract their greatness and elevate their speeches, keynotes, and presentations. Outstanding. And what are, this is kind of before we get into what makes a great speech, but are there a couple, anything you're willing to share about maybe a few common mistakes you see people make and maybe some easy ways you've helped your clients fix them? Sure. I think the biggest mistake is thinking that you have to sound like a speaker other than yourself. So I think if you can certainly have models and and people that you admire, but I think that if you're going into it with anything less than the desire to be completely authentic, that can potentially be a mistake. Uh, One of the things that I usually do and, and go over with, with great detail with my clients is to make sure that the end product is authentic, meaning authentic to them in their voice, but something that's also accessible. So even if you're speaking to a highly specialized group of people, for instance, I had a client once that was speaking to a conference of physicians, even though you have a highly trained, highly specialized group of people, there should be some universal elements in in it and a storytelling element to it. So even if someone that isn't a physician somehow gets in the room, the wrong room or something like that, they can get something out of your story as well. Awesome. I know, I know storytelling is a big theme and a big, I would say way to be successful as a speaker. What, uh, what are some good ways or what are some best practices that you would recommend to communicate a clear story or kind of walk the listener down a, a beginning, middle, and end plot in communicating your message? Well, I think the biggest asset that you you can have as a speaker is knowing your own story, spending time with your own story, which is difficult, I think, for anyone to do. And oftentimes, we are too close to our own story to really see the the deeper or the or the broader meaning in it. And that is part of what I do with my clients is I sit with them. My process is highly consultative, especially in the beginning. It's a lot of me learning and, and a lot of me listening to their stories. And I pick out the insights and the anecdotes that will help them up their storytelling game. So I think that the best way to have storytelling on your side is to treat your speech as if it were a story. Obviously, it does need to be organized and it needs to 
address the topic at hand and, and you want to showcase your technical expertise or your uh, whatever the, the uh, analogy is uh, for, for whatever speech you're giving, but you want to make sure that you are telling, you're giving this speech as if you're telling a story. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, people have been telling stories for as long as human beings have been on this earth, and it, it really makes sense, and I think it's very practical and very appropriate to just kind of treat your speech as a story. You're telling your story to the audience, and I, and I really like what you said, JT. I know I'm guilty of it that, you know, in my personal story, I, like I'm, I'm too close to my own story, kind of like what you said, that I don't see the deeper meaning and the other anecdotes in there, so... I think that's a fascinating point. We all are. I was having an interesting conversation with someone that uh, dubs himself as a personal branding expert and very, very smart guy. And he's been doing a lot of resume and interview coaching uh, in light of the current crisis. And we basically said that same thing at almost the same time. Our approaches are very similar, but it just goes to show how storytelling is such a, a powerful tool that we have in our toolbox. And I think the biggest value add that I can give to my clients is being invested in their story and someone that will safeguard it and portray it in a way that is relevant and to weave it into the expertise that they're bringing to the topic. That is the biggest value add that I can bring. I can never match them uh, in terms of their expertise and in, in their respective field, but I can help them up their storytelling game. Awesome. Well, kind of shifting gears a little bit, I know I really want to pick your brain about what makes a great speech. And we touched on storytelling a little bit. I, I think that that is a big part of it. But for example, let's say that I'm giving a keynote. I'll have my dream set high here and I'm doing a TEDx talk or something along those lines, a big deal. What are some things that I can do to make sure that my audience is engaged and, and I'm telling a good story or giving a good oral presentation to them? I think there are a number of things. The, the first one that I would say is to make sure that you are picking uh, just one message that you want to deliver. I think oftentimes, especially when we're asked to share our expertise, we want to show everything that we know and, and we want to make sure that we're impressing everybody. But the reality is that when you're giving a presentation, especially an oral presentation, uh, the audience can only follow so much. And so you want to pick one key message. That's usually what I ask my clients to, to start is if you could leave the audience with any single impression or any single takeaway what would it be? And we usually build everything around that. Or we, at, at the very least, make sure that multiple topics roll into this central theme so that even if the audience doesn't remember everything that you say, which is, is, is there's a high likelihood that that's the case, they can remember like, oh, well, this was really the, the takeaway and, and hopefully it'll be a, a memorable takeaway. So that would be the first thing is to simplify uh, the second thing, and, and uh, what is a big part of my process, is to find the insight in what you're saying. And so that, that kind of rolls into storytelling a little bit, but, but I think that there are some broader takeaways. So, uh, for example, I had a client 
who, again, it's the same client that, that gave that speech in front of physicians. And uh, she and I were going through her story. And she had been told by a professor way back in her undergrad days at a time where, well, I don't think it was ever acceptable to tell anyone this, but it was more socially accepted anyway, that uh, the professor told her that uh, math and science and, and the STEM studies uh, were not for women and that she should go uh, study English literature. And she actually did. And it wasn't until graduate school that she discovered her particular uh, scientific field. And she found, hey, because I studied English literature, as misguided as that advice was, I was much better able to understand the people behind the science. And that creates this terrific insight of how you can marry art and science. And so we were able to build... Uh, richer content around that. So I would say simplify and make sure that you're you're getting the insights out of your storytelling too. I don't think it's enough just to tell a story beginning, middle, and end. It's all about what that takeaway is. What what is uh, what is going to be memorable to the audience? Okay, that's a great one. So find insight and in what you're saying. Okay, I like that. Anything else? I also think that it is important to sound like you. I don't think that it's a speech, especially an oral presentation of any kind, is the time for you to be busting out vocabulary or, or turns of phrase that you wouldn't ordinarily use. And I've been lucky to work with some terrific clients uh, that have been collaborators with me. I'm their collaborator in their corner, but they're also very honest with me. And they'll say, well, I love what you wrote here, but we need to rewrite it. And so that's something that I'm always aspiring to is, is producing something that's in their voice. And so I think that's very important too, because even if the audience has never heard you speak before, or never read any of your books or, or anything like that, they're, they're very savvy and they're going to pick up on, on little nuances. And, and even if they can't quite put their finger on it, they'll know like, I bet that's not how this guy really talks. And, and you want to make sure that, that you're, you're being accessible without uh, sacrificing the, the integrity of the material. So it's a very delicate balance, uh, but it, it certainly can be done. And, and that's what I work with my clients to do. Another great point, be you, be authentic, and don't go to the thesaurus right before your speech and try to substitute your, your words for big, scary complex words. Just just be you. Get up there, be you. You speak like how you would normally speak. And I like that. I think that's great advice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, uh, you know, I don't think it's something that people necessarily strive to do, but, but it's a, an instinct. Because again, you want to get up there, you want to impress. I've worked with clients. Uh, believe it or not, I worked with a, a, a retail store manager I, I had as a client once. And she had the number one store for a very well-known luxury brand in the entire United States, which is quite, in terms of sales, which is quite an accomplishment. And so she's not a speaker per se, and she doesn't, I think she's a speaker, but she didn't consider herself a, a speaker or a thought leader. But uh, there was such importance placed on the speech because she was giving uh, the talk in front of uh, the CEO of this luxury brand. And she said to me, she said, JT, this is the only time that I'm going to get 
any sort of uh, not even FaceTime, but stage time in front of this very important person. And so it was very, very crucial that we were choosing the right words to reflect the accomplishment, because that is quite an achievement, but also to make sure that she wasn't putting on airs. And so it's again, it's a balance. Right. Being very intentional with your word selection. Absolutely. I think that does go a long way. And it's evident when you're up there communicating clearly. I mean, I can often tell when someone's in front of me speaking and it's going very, very well. I'm thinking to myself like, hey, I, I, I know and I can tell this person picked that word. You know, it's just the words have impact. Words have meaning. And picking the correct ones is a huge part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And you want to make sure that uh, you're not choosing words that have uh, uh, a charge behind them. You want to make sure that your words are are neutral when they're meant to be neutral and, and uh, when they're meant to be charged and, and convey a really strong point. Uh, you want to make sure that you're choosing the words that, uh, that, that make that point. So it's, it's, uh, it's a laborious process, but it can be a lot of fun. And when it's good, when someone really nails it, everyone takes notice and everyone remembers so that the stakes are high, but as long as you're spending time with your story, that's what I like to tell clients as well is to not what I end up producing for them should be something that they feel like they lived. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's right. It it shouldn't be the separate document that some writer put together for you that you have to say, it's not a, script so much as it is a reflection of their actual experience and their expertise. Right. That's a good way to put it. I, I like, I like how you said that JT wanted to shift a little bit. So kind of, I, I would say delivering a, a great speech would involve some practice beforehand. What are, what are some exercises or what are some practice recommendations that you offer your clients? Well, be, truth be told, most of my clients are very good at speaking. Uh, it's part of the package that I offer. I offer, I wouldn't call it coaching because I'm not a coach. I'm not certified as a coach, but I call it public speaking consulting. And I really only consult on the speeches that I've written. And the way that I write speeches is, is very much by ear. So when I'm writing it, I'm imagining the places where a pause would be most effective. Or maybe we should hold for laughter here because it was kind of funny what we said. And we want to give the chance, uh, give the audience a chance rather to react. So that is the kind of thing that, that I shape and mold with my clients. But I think that the, the basics of great public speaking are, are just that. I think everything that, that we've all grown up hearing, um, you know, make sure that uh, your eye contact is is uh, being made with uh, all parts of the audience, if possible. Sometimes the spotlight is is on you, and you can't really make that happen. But if it is possible, if it's a more intimate setting, make sure that your eye contact is being dispersed evenly. Uh, making sure that hand gestures are only reserved for uh, big points that you're trying to make. If your hands are moving all around, it actually dilutes. Uh, the value of the words that you're saying, because when you do come to a, a pretty crucial point, the audience isn't going to know that your hands and the hand gesture is the signal for that. 
and uh, you know just not not making uh, any kind of strange movements, no rocking back and forth. So so I, I'm certainly not an expert in in public speaking coaching, but I can take those lessons along with the way that I compose speeches and roll them all up into a, a package for the clients that I'm working with. So those would be my suggestions. Okay, I, I like that. And I, I really, it is so important, listeners, like, like you said, JT, crafting your speech and kind of anticipating where you expect some audience feedback or just like the, the value and the, the impact and the attention grabbing, you know, just impact of, of a pause. I, I think pauses are so effective in speeches and I like how you added that in there. They really are. They, they can really make the difference. I think that they, they serve a couple of different benefits. One, it gives the audience a chance to catch up to you. And that's not to imply that the audience is, is not following along or, or they just don't get it. It's just that the way that the brain processes an oral presentation is, is much different, especially in that setting where it's a, a one, what I call one-to-many type dialogue. Uh, I think that the, the way that that's processed in the brain is, is very different. And uh, pauses, they, they create some drama. They create some tension. And so if you're about to make a really big point or you're about to uh, subvert the audience's expectations, I think that a pause is a very powerful tool to accompany that. What are some, this is a weird question, but like are there any good situations where you found a pause is like, always very appropriate. Like, I don't know, it's kind of a off off the cuff question, but where have you seen pauses be most effective? I guess is what I'm asking. That's a great question. I'm not sure that I have a ready answer. I think you're alluding to it that, that it's very context specific. Right. Uh, but let me see if I can think of one here. I, I think that pauses are important. Like I said, if, you, if you're spending time with your story, and it's almost like a, a check, not even for the audience, but it can also be a check for you. So if you've gone through the speech and you've rehearsed it a few times and you're coming up to a point where you say to yourself, wow, that's a lot of information. I lived it and I'm not sure that I would even understand it if I were in the audience. That might be a good place to insert a pause. I think that okay. we are taught uh, subconsciously almost to be fearful of pauses because I think that we think that means that, oh, well, that person doesn't know the answer or he's not as smart as he says he was. And uh, if you look at uh, broadcast media, whether it's television or radio, just because of that medium, they're trained not to pause. A any kind of filler word like an um or an um, which is, is not good on stage, that's okay on television because they have to, to fill it. If they pause, that, that doesn't look good on, on that medium just because of the nature of the medium. But pauses in an oral presentation are, are very effective. And I think that they can be a good check on the speaker. And I say that with personal experience because I tend to talk a lot and be very verbose, if you haven't noticed <laughs> via this interview. So I, I know when I really became conscious of how I spoke in front of people, the first couple pauses I made, it just felt like an eternity. Mm. Like so I'm standing in front of people and just 
I really worked hard to not say um or those other filler words. So just left the silence kind of float out there. And it feels like an absolute eternity. It feels so awkward at first, but it's really not. Oftentimes it's not even like a whole second long. And I think that takes a lot of practice and it is very uncomfortable at first. So listeners, it is normal to be up there for two seconds of complete silence and feel awkward and and self-conscious about it. But uh, like JT, you've said, pauses are just so powerful. And especially when you are crafting your speech and you are planning and being intentional at where you're inserting them. I mean, it really can make your speech more deliberate, more powerful, and especially for certain points where you want the audience to kind of sit on it for a couple seconds. You bring up an excellent point that I just want to highlight that the 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 experience of time passing for the speaker and for the audience and when you're on stage versus when you're not on stage is very different. So what you're saying is, oh, well, that pause, it felt like an eternity. The audience perceives that normally. They don't right. look at it as, oh, my goodness, he just froze there. I can't believe this. It feels that way. And I know that when I've competed in, in Toastmasters contests and the like, I I've, did feel that way at the very beginning when I when I first started doing this. But it it's not perceived by the audience in that way. It's a signal to them like, hey, we should really pay attention to what's next. So even if, if the audience is half listening, and we hope that they're not doing that, but you're never going to have 100% attention 100% of the time. If you put in a pause, sometimes it's a signal to them like, hey, I should probably pay attention. Or at the very least, they ask, well, why, why did he stop talking? <laughs> like, like this, that might have been important. And then it's always very good if you do a pause, like really to make a good point, you make your point pause, let a couple seconds go by and then repeat that same point. Because like you said, it grabs everybody's attention, everybody's attention, maybe they were half listening, and it kind of perks them up again. And then you can deliver that same point again. And hopefully it sinks in a lot more impactfully. Absolutely. I, I don't mean to put you on the spot. But do you remember the context for your pauses and how you used it? I'd be interested to hear. So my pauses the scenarios in which I speak most often are not really public speaking where I'm giving a keynote of some sort. It's more me standing in front of a room, briefing to a senior leader, briefing off of a PowerPoint often. And I really worked on my pauses instead of saying filler words. So I was, a mentor told me that I was like, yeah, you're saying, um, every once in a while. And one of my buddies, one of my peers gave like a two minute brief in front of the room. And in two minutes, he said, um, 32 times. And I just like, oh, I no. asked him like, man, how many times do you think you said, um, it's like, oh, you know, probably seven or eight or so. I'm like, man, it was 32 times, 32 times in two minutes. That's an um every like four seconds, dude, come on. So it, it was that moment. And I remember it like it was yesterday and I'm like, I'm not going to be that guy. So that is when I really started working on it. And you know what, if I don't know what to say, Instead of just saying, um, da, 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 um, I'm just going to have silence. So I have found success in that. People say that I'm a decent speaker. And it just, once you get used to it, it makes you more self-confident, I would say. Absolutely. And for your listeners, I just want to point out that that if you're concerned about your use of filler words, that if, and if you've never been to a Toastmasters club before, that's one of the things that they do. 
from the very first speech that you give as, as part of their um, curriculum is, and I think I might have just said a filler word right there. So see, it, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it just happens sometimes, but that's what they do. They count the filler words. They count the ums and the ahs and the, you knows and the so's. And when I first started, it was really tough to break, but you start to hear yourself doing it more often and you can wean yourself off of it. You can wean yourself off of that idea that I have to be filling up every moment of silence with some kind of word. And if I don't know the word, then it's better to use um than, than no words at all. That, that's a good point. It is like weaning yourself off of it. It's, you have to become self-aware, first of all, or whether it's you or going to Toastmasters or someone telling you you're saying filler words often. And then you have to have that self-awareness like oh shoot i just said um right there like my goodness even if i say it now and something slips like i'll i'll hear it in my head a couple seconds after i do it like darn it i should just you know not said that but you just keep going on and yeah awesome point jt yeah i'm sure i've used a couple filler words in this interview and when i go back and listen i'm gonna kick myself and be like why did you do that you know better (laughs) but but it happens i mean even the most professional and seasoned speakers are going to say them sometimes nobody's perfect and all we can do is work to be better speakers every single day and get a little bit better with each speaking engagement that we do. It's such an excellent point. And I, I think one of the things that I've learned doing this for a little while now is that this is art as much as it is science. It is a performance. And I don't usually like to say that as one of the first things I say to a client, because I think when they hear the word performance, it it conjures up images and they say, well, I'm not a performer and and I I don't want to scare anyone, but it is. And one of the other things that I say to clients related to that point is that you could give this speech 10 times in front of the same audience and in the same location, and it would probably be a little different each of those 10 times. So it's really important. And I think one of the ways that you get away from using the filler words is by not memorizing the speech. I, and I, I say this only for when I'm speaking, because sometimes in many circumstances, you have to give the speech as is written exactly. But if it's more like a TED Talk, I think it's much more valuable to use what is written very precisely as a guide. And I find that you actually retain more of what is written if you're not trying to be a slave to what is exactly on the page and you capture more of the essence of it. So that is why I always highlight for my clients, what are what are your anecdotes? What are the insights? How do we tell a story? How do we weave it into the expertise that you've been asked to share? And in that way, they feel a little more bonded to what they're saying. Again, it's not like this separate document that I've written for them that they now have to memorize and internalize. It's what they lived. It's what I certainly didn't write it wholly on my own because I can't match their expertise. But but that's what we're trying to get to is we're trying to get to a piece where where you can eliminate some of those things like filler words because you won't feel so much like it's a script. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And I've found that this just works for me personally, but me writing my speech word for word, how I think I want to say it, like a couple times, 
is just good at getting the overall message in my head. Like I, I will never memorize a speech. I don't have the brain capacity to memorize things, but just writing it down three or four times just puts that in my, in my subconscious a little bit. So I'm just able to talk more smoothly and more confidently in front of people. But yeah, totally agree with you. Unless you're doing like a TED talk, I highly recommend not memorizing verbatim because if you, I feel like you're more likely to use filler words, like you just said, if you forget, oh shoot, what, what is the next word that I memorized? Um, and then you just, you just shot yourself in the foot right there. Absolutely. So what method do you use uh, in terms of making sure that you're getting to the right points? I, I often tell my clients, you got to think of it as guideposts, like on the, on the highway of, of your speech, there are guide, there are checkpoints, there are guideposts. So you want to get from checkpoint A to checkpoint B but if you're not exactly along the, the route that we specifically prescribed on the page, that's not the end of the world as long as you're telling the story appropriately and as long as you get them there and, and you make it compelling, which it will be if, if you've uh, done all the work beforehand, uh, that's okay. Is that a method that, that you're using when you're speaking? The, I call it the guidepost method. I don't know if that's an official <laughs> method or not, but I'd be curious to hear. An official JT terminology, the guidepost method. I, I love it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much what you said. So I will write it down a couple times. And then as I get closer to the speech, I will kind of summarize it to bullet points. So I'm putting less text in front of me. And then when I see those couple key words, those guides of the bullet points, I am talking in my head, like literally just talking to myself in my head of what I'm going to say. And I, I try to practice kind of looking around the room while I'm running through it in my head. So bullet points are huge. They're just like big stakes in the ground, big checkpoints that I, if all else fails, I need to hit these four things in this speech and for it to be successful and for me to get my message across. Oh, absolutely. I agree. The best clients that I've worked with, among the best, I should say, are clients that have a, a process. So I worked with one professor that had done all of the research that she was presenting, literally co-wrote the book on her area of expertise. And the process behind her science was set out in four stages. Well, really five, but she only talked about four because five was sort of what happens when when things go wrong. And she didn't really want to talk about that. She wanted to address the, the four stages, the four primary stages of her research. And I think it is so much better cemented in one's head when it is mapped out that way. And then she didn't have to worry about anything else, about getting from point A to point B, because the speech was structured in the way that her research was. And then it was just a matter of like, well, how do I weave in the jokes about Grey's Anatomy or whatever it was that we had done? Uh, so it was, it was really interesting, and I, I think it helped cement it. So I would say, just like with most other things in life, if there's a process behind it that you can use... Uh, in the speech and, and and still make it sound natural, then that's just going to make it so much better. It's going to look so effortless to the audience. Definitely. And when you when we make processes, it makes it that much easier for us to kind of run through and hopefully more efficiently run through what we're going to do. We already have an idea in our head of how we're going to execute. And with that should make you more comfortable and more confident. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I, I think that you're touching on another important point about having a goal. And that's the other thing that I think that uh, is really important to map out with clients beforehand. What, what is your goal for this speech? Do you want someone to simply experience a, a good story, even though that's not a, a simple thing to do as, as this last uh, 30 minutes or so of conversation would attest? Or do you want lead generation for your consulting firm? I've had that before. And so I think it's important to know well, what, what do you want to get out of this? And that can reinforce some of what you're saying or necessarily or maybe not necessarily alter the content of, of the speech. And you can do it a, a number of different ways depending on what your goal is. So thank you for reminding me of that because that's very important as well. Yeah, definitely, JT. Well, that hits all the high points of what I wanted to ask you and kind of pick your brain about. Any kind of parting words for the group about what makes a great speech? I think this is going to sound very cliche, but cliches are around for a reason. I think it's really important to be yourself. And I, I alluded to that uh, uh, pretty heavily at the top. I think that it is important to, you, you can certainly have role models, you can certainly have people that you wish that you were more alike, but at the end of the day, it has to be yours, especially if, and, and this is the case with most of my clients, you're being asked to share your expertise. And sometimes with, with some of my clients, it's for the first time, or at least for the first time in that specific medium, you just have to be yourself because I think that even if the audience doesn't pick up on it, you're robbing yourself of an experience. And that's what I want all my clients to come away with is having a great experience, not just working with me, but being able to deliver the speech that, that we work together uh, to construct. So be yourself. Absolutely. Awesome. Be yourself, JT. Well, thank you so much for being on the show this evening. It was a pleasure having you on there. And I mean, you're just super, super knowledgeable about speaking and a lot of things that I really didn't know was out there. You're making awesome points about. So where can listeners go to find out more about what you're doing or work with you if they're interested? Well, first of all, thank you for saying that. It's very kind, very kind words. Listeners can come engage with me at my website, uh, contentinterpreter.com. And there will be a link. And on the website, there's, there's a a link to a page where they can sign up for a free speech writing video guide. And so you sign up with your email and you'll get two to three minute videos of me, one a day for three days that where I cover the things that, that I think are important. And it gives them a peek behind the curtain, so to speak, of what it's like to work with me. So if you're going the DIY route, those videos might be helpful and they're free. And uh, on the rest of the website, there's all kinds of goodies there, all kinds of content and, and perspectives and, and things that I hope are helpful. Outstanding, JT. Well, I'm going to put a link to your website in the show notes. So listeners, I encourage you to check that out, that out and especially his free guide. I'll have links to both in the show notes. And JT, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And again, thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was a fun conversation. I really appreciate it. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the Get Heard podcast. I hope I was able to bring some sort of value to your public speaking endeavors. And, you know, it is very important as a leader to speak well in front of others. So hope I was able to help you out today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this podcast. 
And it would mean the world to me if you found value in this podcast to share it with a friend. So the note to do that is in the show notes at the bottom of this episode. And again, appreciate everything you guys are doing, all the support you're giving me. Check out TalkingLama.com for all the projects I'm working on. And until then, speak your legacy. I'll see you next time.